At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Today, we're going to be beginning a new sermon series. And as we begin this new series, I want to just acknowledge that this series is not in 2 Corinthians. If you've been with us in 2023, you know we've been walking through the book of 2 Corinthians. We'll be back there in just about a month. But in the next three Sundays, we have a special series, and then we have a couple of weeks around the Easter Sunday day, and then we'll be back in 2 Corinthians. But today, we are beginning a new series. For three weeks, we're going to be talking about In God We Trust, Three Thoughts on God and Money. Now, I I say this knowing that this probably will elicit some kind of a response inside of you that this will have some kind of an emotional reaction because money is emotional, isn't it? It's a little bit emotional. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that all money is emotional or every topic that is financial is emotional. As a matter of fact, we can drive by a bank and it doesn't cause our heart rate to rise. We can take a macroeconomics class at university and do so without our emotions being engaged. But when it comes to my money, when it comes to your money, well, that's more emotional. When we think about bills that we have to pay, when we think about any advice about what we should do with our money, well, suddenly our emotions begin to raise. And so when you walk into church on a Sunday like today, and you hear that for the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about, in God we trust, three thoughts on God and money. No doubt some of you were wishing you had not come today, uh, because emotionally you're thinking, this guy is going to stand on a stage and tell us what we should do with our money. And that thought goes over about like a lead balloon. But friends, we don't need to know what I say about money. We don't. You don't need to listen to what I have to say about it. But it is super important for us to think about what God says about money, what God says about resources. His perspective trumps ours every time. And so for the next three weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at Scripture to see just three things that God says about resources, about finances, about money, because our perspective is not complete. We need advice. We need direction as it relates to handling money. And so we will turn to the one who knows everything to see what he has to say. We want this and we need this, and Jesus can be trusted as we turn to him for this direction. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about three thoughts about God and money. And today, we're kicking it off by looking at part one, where we will be in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 1 through 16. So if you've got a Bible, take it out and turn to the book of 1 Chronicles. If you think of the two halves of the Bible, the Old Testament in the first half, the New Testament in the second, go to maybe about the first third of the Old Testament and you'll find the book of Chronicles, 1 Chronicles, will be in chapter 29 this morning. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to see in these verses King David address the nation of Israel 
and, and really pray to God on behalf of the nation of Israel around a capital campaign, around the raising of resources for the construction of the temple. We're going to see that today as we look at 1 Chronicles 29. Uh, although we will look at the first 16 verses, I want to read for us now beginning in verse 10. So we pick it up in verse 10. It says, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. Now friends, in these few verses today, I want us to see a few things. The first thing I want us to do is I want us to see the backstory so that we understand what we just read. And then I want us to see a single principle that will help us understand God's perspective about resources. And then lastly, I want us to see two important applications for us today. So the first thing I want us to do is I want us to see the backstory. And to see the backstory, we need to look at the first nine verses of 1 Chronicles 29. And we need to remember that the one who is leading the nation of Israel at this time was a man by the name of David. Now, we know some things about David, don't we? We know a few things about him. Just a few different aspects of David's life I want to remind us of. The first one is Slingshot David. How many of you know Slingshot David? That's right. David is the one who went out and there was a, a, a large enemy army and there's a representation of that army which was this giant named Goliath and he was insulting the armies of the living God and insulting the living God. And though the armies of Israel cowered, David said, that man is nothing compared to my God. And he walked out on the battlefield with his slingshot and some rocks and he takes Goliath down. Now, when that happened, David became very famous in all of Israel. People made up songs about him. And that led to a problem in David's life. Because apparently the reigning king, King Saul, didn't like it that people made songs about David. And so David became survivalist David. He didn't just go on an extended camping trip and some kind of you know, reality television show. But David went out into the woods to survive. He took with him his merry men and he hid in caves because Saul wanted to kill him. And he lived there for a number of months and years. But ultimately, Saul dies. And David, as had been prophesied of him earlier in his life, becomes King David, reigning over a united kingdom of Israel. 
And as David reigned over Israel, their borders grew, and David became prosperous David. He became one of the richest men of the ancient world, one of the most powerful men of that region. David found all of these things as he was king and prosperous. Now, given that context, we now turn to what we see in 1 Chronicles 29. And what we see is that David had constructed a house, and he was interested in building a second one. The first house that David had built was a palace. David had built a castle fit for a king, and he was residing inside of that house. But as David was residing inside of this house in all of its luxury, he looks out and he sees that the Ark of the Covenant of God is not in this beautiful house, but is out under a tent. And so David has this idea, and the idea is to build God a temple, a permanent place where the ark might rest and where God's glory might dwell. David has this thought, and he expresses it in First Chronicles 17 when he says, Behold, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. In David's mind, and honestly, initially in the mind of even the prophet Nathan, this was a no-brainer. Of course, David, build God a house. But how did God respond? Well, God's response went something like this. David, I never asked you to build me a house. As a matter of fact, it was my idea to dwell in a tent to begin with. Because unlike the foreign gods that lived in rooms where, in buildings where they could be shut off from what happened in the real world, God said, I am the God who exists everywhere, and I am the God who moves with my people. And so I'm just fine in the tent. But God went further and said, David, though you won't do this, I have an idea. He says, you shall not build a house to my name because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. David had conducted many wars. God said, because of that, you are not the one to build me a house. But he said, behold, a son shall be born to you. And he refers to his son, Solomon. The implication is clear. David, you won't build me a house but your son will. So what did David do? Well, David reasoned this way. Well, if, if, if I'm not the one to build the house, maybe at least I can gather the stuff that will be necessary to build the house. And so David begins to gather the gifts of the resources necessary to build the temple. This began, first of all, with David giving a big gift. And we see this in chapter 29, the first four verses. Just listen to what David gives, beginning in verse 2. It says, David says, So I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony, colored stones, and all sorts of precious stones and marble. David gave a bunch he gave all these resources. One of the richest men in the world gives millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of stuff for the construction of this temple. But after David makes this big gift and it becomes known to the people, David offers an invitation. And the invitation is for all the nation of Israel to give to this project as well. 
And he makes this request in verse 5 when he says, Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? David says, I'm not taxing you. I'm not requiring this of you. But who will willingly give also for the construction of this temple? Who will also give from the resources that are in your possession? Well, how did the the people respond? Well, they responded amazingly well. And in verses 6 to 8, we see a description of what they gave. Verse 7, they gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold and 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jehiel the Gershonite. Friends, they, they gave. They gave abundantly. David gave, the nation gave, and resources were collected. But even more surprising than the fact that they gathered a bunch of stuff was how they did it. What was their attitude as they did it? Remember, we began and we talked about how emotional money is, right? Money is an emotional topic. So how did they give? Did they give with, with, a, with a, you know, grit, gritting their teeth and bearing it? No, what does it say? Verse 9 tells us, Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also greatly rejoiced. There was rejoicing as they gave. As they turned over their resources, they had emotion, but their emotion was rejoicing. It was excitement. Now, in order for us to understand this a little more uh, we need to understand how intense this phrase rejoice is. It was talking about a great celebration. So think of the last time you greatly celebrated. And maybe a category we could think of is when our favorite sporting team wins. Imagine the feeling that you had in your soul, dear brothers and sisters, when OU won the national championship in 2000. When, when, when the clock hit zero and we were up 13 to 2, how did you respond? You rejoiced greatly, right? You celebrated. You got up. You banged pots and pans together. You hugged your loved ones. You jumped up and down. You were celebrating at the victory of your team. Now, this is surprising because this is connected to the giving of an offering. Now, in 20-plus years of pastoral ministry, I have never said, and now is the time for the offering, and watch people jump up and cheer and hug their spouse and pat their children on the head and say, yes, we get to give. Never happened. Now, that's not to say that Wildwood is not a generous congregation. Wildwood absolutely, positively is a generous congregation. But what I'm saying is this is a, a, a unique response. It stands out for us. How is it that a group of people could have the emotion that comes about when it's time to give be rejoicing and not something else, not anxiety, not frustration, not skepticism? How is it that this can happen? Well, understanding this, this backstory, we need now to move to the principle, the single principle that we see from these verses that reminds us how we can give with rejoicing. That principle is this. 
We need to bust the my money myth. We need to bust the my money myth. You see, we have an attitude, a perspective that says that the things in my pocket, the place where I live, the vehicle that I drive, it is mine, mine, it's mine. But is it possible that it's not really ours to begin with? Well, let's look at what David says and how David prays. David begins his prayer and he says this. He says, Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of the, all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. This perspective is rooted in the glory and the identity of our God. Our God is awesome. Our God is amazing. He is the creator. He is the provider. He is the one who holds all things in the palm of his hand. David begins his prayer and he focuses his attention and he focuses the attention of the nation of Israel. And because it's included in scripture, he focuses the attention of the people of Wildwood Community Church on this Sunday on the greatness of our God. It begins there. But after commenting about the greatness of God In general, in verses 10 and 11, David makes these statements in verses 11 and 12. He says, For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. What's David saying? What David is saying is he's saying, everything is yours. God, when you think of of, of everything in in the physical world, if we were to get out the ownership deed of all of the stuff, we would find that your name is on it. This is your world, dear Lord. This is your world, our God. Everything in our pockets is yours. Every place that we live is yours. It is all your stuff. But not only is the stuff yours, but also the things that are immaterial are yours. The things like like honor and strength. God, you are the one that has all of these things. You are the one who, in your grace and your honor, allows us to utilize them and to, to touch them and to experience them. But it is all your stuff. You are the one who is God over everything. You sit as head above all. But after making this statement, David draws a conclusion about the gifts that have just been given. Keep in mind, we're talking about the, one of the richest men in the world giving millions and millions and millions of dollars. The nation rallies around him and gives millions of dollars. And all of this is in their midst. And, and how does David respond? Well, he first gives thanks to God. But then in verse 14, he says this, who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? What a statement. David doesn't say, God, aren't we awesome? Look at this. I gave you a bunch of money. These people, they have given you so much. God, pat us on the back. Celebrate us. No, David doesn't say that at all. 
He says instead just the opposite. God, who am I to give you anything? Who are we to give you anything? And he's not just saying this as some empty phrase. It's anchored in truth. It's anchored in this reality that all things come from you and of your own we have given you. All this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. What David was saying was, God, we have I've organized and we have placed these resources aside for the construction of your temple. But David said, they were all yours to begin with. They were all yours to begin with. There was no David's stuff and the nation of Israel's stuff. It was all God's. He had the ownership of it from the beginning. So when we talk about this this my money myth, what we're saying is that we need to come to grips with this reality that David shared that is that we don't own anything. Everything we touch is ultimately God's already. So given this my money myth being busted, what what do we do? How do we respond to this reality? Well, I want us to look at two applications that will help us take this general principle and kind of drive it into our lives. If, If God owns it all, what does that mean for us? Well, the first application that I think we need to look at is this. We need to remember and know that God owns it all, not just 10%. God owns it all, not just 10%. Now, why did I pick 10%? That's a real question. Why did I pick 10%? Tithe, right? There's this biblical word, biblical concept called the tithe. And in the Old Testament uh, economy, there was a, a 10% tithe. As a matter of fact, they gave in, in several different buckets for different things, but the tithe was talking about a 10%. So 10% of whatever the Lord had entrusted to different families, they would give to the Lord. And that was a good thing that God had done. But you know what's interesting? What's interesting is our hearts. Because what do we do? What do humans do? What do you and I do? What did the people of Israel do? when we see something like this, give 10%. We turn that into this phrase. Not we give 10%, but 10% is God's, 90% is who? Mine. 10% is God's, 90% is mine. But friends, that is not what David says. David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, included in the Scripture for us to read today, reminds us that God doesn't own 10%, and he doesn't own it after we give it. God already owns it all. He owns it all. Now, this principle does not mean that that we need to give everything away. It doesn't mean that. It means that God owns it all so that everything we touch has been given us from God. But it does mean that we should remember that we are accountable and responsible, not for 10% of what God has given, but for 100%. And so with this principle in place, what are some ways that we could begin to, to live it out? 
Well, the first thing I would, I would encourage us to do is pray and thank him. Pray and thank him. When was the last time that you got into whatever you're going to get into to go home today and thank God for the existence of that thing? By that, I mean if you have a car, when you sit in your car, when was the last time you sat in that car and you said, thank you, God, for giving me wheels? When was the, the, the last time that you got on a bicycle to ride home from church today and you said, God, thank you for providing me these wheels to get there? When was the last time that you, you summoned that Lyft or Uber to take you where you wanted to go and you said, God, thank you for providing me these wheels to get there? Friends, if all of these resources are God's, that means that we ought to have a spirit of thankfulness when it comes to where we go. It also ought to give us a spirit of thankfulness in where we live. When was the last time you walked into your place of residence and you thanked God? Now, for some of us, it might be walking into a home that you own free and clear. For others, it might be walking into a home that you pay the bank for the privilege of living there. For others, it might be moving into a place that you are renting or it might be into a room that you are allowed to stay in as a part of your family or with a roommate or whoever it might be. But when was the last time that you entered that place of residence and you just said thanks to God? God, thank you that you have provided for me a place to live. Now, friends, this rhythm is something that, that we are used to when it comes to eating. It's a part of our culture where we, we thank God before we eat. And when we pray before we eat, it's not like that's the starting gun for dinner. It's not like, okay, now eat. That's not what the prayer is. The prayer is literally designed to remind us that whatever we have is a gift from God. And we get to do that in rhythm. If you eat three squares a day, you have three opportunities to remember God's provision in your life. But what I'm encouraging is for us to even go beyond that. For us to remember every time we have access to any resource that we remember whose it is. It is ultimately God's. Let us pray and give thanks to God for his provision. A second thing, though, that we need to think about is this. Consider how you are managing his resources. Consider how you are managing his resources. See, the problem with thinking that God only owns 10% is then we just have to make one decision. Where do I write that one check? And then the other 90% I'll do with it whatever I want to do. Because we think that it has no connection to our spiritual life. It has no connection to our understanding and relationship with God. But the reality is God owns it all. So we steward not 10% of the resources that he has extended to us, but we steward all of them. How are we stewarding our vehicles? How are we stewarding our home? How are we stewarding the opportunities that God has placed before us? I'll give you an illustration to maybe help drive this home a little bit. Imagine that you don't have a vehicle, but imagine that you need one. You need one to get to work. You need one to get to school. You need one to go to the store, whatever it might be. And let's say that you have a friend, somebody sitting down the row from you. You can look around and see them. Imagine they have a car and they, they say, here, you need a car this week? Here's my car. Take it and use it this week. Now, what percentage of that car would you be responsible for handling in an, in an appropriate and responsible manner? Just 10% of it? I mean, what if we did that? What if we borrow someone's vehicle and we take some painter's tape and we tape off one little corner of the front dash and we say, this is the 10% of this car that I am going to care for. But the rest of it, I'm going to have some fun. I like the beach. I'm going to fill the back seat with sand because I like to think that I'm at the beach. 
And you know what? I'm tired of driving the speed limit. I'm going to drive real fast. And it's going to be like demolition derby because I don't care about the bumper. I don't care about the rear bumper. I don't care about the side panels. But that 10% up here on the dash, it's going to be pristine when I turn it back in. Who would do that? Certainly none of your friends. Why? Because when we borrow something like that, when we manage the resource of another, we have this understanding that says, I want to manage this the way that they would want me to manage it. If, if the person who loaned you the vehicle didn't want their back seat to be a beach, we shouldn't make it one because it's their vehicle. And in the same way, friends, we need to have an understanding that since God owns it all, we are responsible for stewarding all that God has entrusted to us. How do we do that? We're going to talk about that next week. But it's important for us to to think about it in connection to this. God owns it all, not just 10%. So consider how you're managing his resources. And a third thing, Give a percentage of your income. Give a percentage of your income. Now, this, this might not seem to follow. Well, why, why do we have this listed under God owns it all, not just 10%? We just said he doesn't own a percentage, so why would I say give a percentage? Well, the reason, friends, is why we give. We don't give so that God gets his. That's not why we give. It's already his. All of it is already his. We don't give so that God has some stuff. God doesn't need stuff. He has the cattle on a thousand hills, friends. We don't give so that God gets his. We give as an act of worship, remembering that it is all God's. So what should we give? Well, a percentage that was in the Old Testament time, was this 10% mark. For some, you might hear that and think, wow, that is really, really steep. And you know what? It might be for some. For others, it might be, you know what? I I was giving 10% at some point in the past, and I've just kind of settled in to that percentage. Remembering that God owns it all, I think that we ought to ask fresh from time to time as a people who are following the Lord, Lord, how is it that you want me to manage in this season of my life the resources that you have entrusted to us? And what percentage would you want me to give away as an act of worship to you? That's why we give. And a percent giving is helpful because it can fluctuate based on income. If God entrusts you with less, you lose a job, things fall apart, then you give less because he's entrusted you with less in that season. And if God blesses you with more, that percentage also encourages and instructs and reminds you to increase that opportunity as well. But all of it is an expression, a reminder of the fact that God owns it all. Now, where should we give? Again, we'll talk about that in future, in future weeks. But it's important for us to remember these principles connected to this idea that God owns it all, not just 10%. But there's a second principle, a second application that I want us to see here. And that application is this. God is worthy of our trust. God is worthy of our trust. Now, why do I say that in connection to to this part of the passage? Well, friends, I, I say that because when I talk about God owning it all, 
again, it might cause some emotion to rise up inside of us. Emotionally, in our soul, we begin to get nervous. We think of God owning it all. Does that mean that he's going to take it all? What if I have nothing? If God owns it all, what does this mean for me? We begin to get a little nervous. But if that's the case, friends, if we get nervous thinking that God owns it all, then we have forgotten who our God is. We've forgotten who he is. Do you realize that our God is is merciful and gracious and kind? Our God is a provider and a creator. Our God is a giver, not a taker. Our, Our God is the God who came into this world to die on the cross for our sins. Friends, this is the God who owns it all. What a blessing for us. He owns it all. And he merely has extended his resources to us for us to steward them for a time. We need to remember who God is. I love what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10. He makes this statement. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I came that they may have life and may have it abundantly. Jesus owning everything is not bad news. It is great news for us because he has come to give us life and to give us life abundantly. And by that, he wasn't saying to give us all the stuff. What he was saying is to give us the life we were created for. And so, friends, we need to remember and learn to trust in God. Now, in order to help us drive that point home, I want to do a little exercise with you today. And so I want you to get in your purse or into your wallet, and I want you to pull out two cards. So this is a a real thing I want you to do. I want you to reach in and, and, and pull out two cards. These are the cards I want you to pull out. Don't worry, I'm not going to have you do anything weird with them. I'm not going to have you, you know, hand them to your neighbor or anything like that. I just want you to to pull out two cards. The first card I want you to pull out is uh, your ID, an ID of some kind. Might be driver's license, might be a library card, might be a student ID, but pull out an ID. And the second thing I want you to do is I want you to pull out a, a card connected to a financial institution. Maybe that is a credit card, or if you're a financial peace person, a debit card. Um, I want you to to pull out a a couple of different uh, cards. And I want you to take in your right hand, I want you to put your ID card. And in your left hand, I want you to put the card that is connected to the financial institution. Now, with the card that is in your right hand, your ID card, I want you to imagine that on this card, we were able to load all of the sins that you have ever committed all the ways that you have fallen short of the glory of God from the day that you stepped on this planet to today. Imagine that all of those things are on this card. And then with the card that is in your left hand, the financial card, I want you to imagine all of your material things liquidated and their value placed upon this card. So in your left hand is all of your stuff and in your right hand is all of your soul. And then With those two representations in your hands, I want you just to to, to hold them out in front of you. Seriously, you can do this. Hold them out in front of you. And as you hold them out in front of you, I, I want you just to imagine 
Which one of these two is easier for you to give to the Lord? Which one is easier, your soul or your stuff? I think for the most part, it's easier for us, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, to give him our souls. We were convinced years ago of our sinfulness. We were convinced that Jesus is God in the flesh and he came down to this earth and he died on the cross so that we might be forgiven and freed from the weight of our sin. We willingly hand over our sin to him. We open our hand and we place it before him for our forgiveness and for our eternity. It's easier for us to give him our soul. Why is it so hard for us to give him our stuff? Why is it so hard? Because it's the same God who loves us, the same God who provides for us, the same God who came and bled for us, the same God who invites us to be with him forever and ever. That same God who came for our soul also reminds us that he owns the stuff. Friends, that's not just some news. That is great news. May we as a a group of people be willing to give him not just our souls, but hold our stuff with an open hand as well. Because ultimately, it's not ours to begin with. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for just the opportunity to gather today and to look at this great passage of Scripture. Thank you that you had David lead the nation of Israel in this way, and you had the 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 writers chronicle it for us so that we might know this tremendous perspective that you own it all. Lord, may we rest in that. And in you, may we trust, not in in, in stuff that, that, that is around us, but may we trust in you that we might be found to be a steward, a good steward, a good manager of all of your resources. Lord, may we entrust to you our souls and may we entrust to you the stuff around us as well. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said.